So every single one of us has at least something that we would say that we wish that we would either be better at or that we would say, I'm really good at this thing. Like for me, I, I personally have a handful of things like this that I wish that I could say that I am a master or an expert in a whole slew of different things. Um, and there are things that are more serious and there are things that are really silly and inconsequential. For example, um, there's a video game called Super Smash Brothers that I wish that I could say I was good at. In fact, for a time, I actually, you're gonna judge me, but I actually looked up YouTube videos of how to do certain things in this game so that I could dominate my peers in this video game. But very quickly, it just, it, the, the fire tailed off. I just, I gave up on that very quickly. I realized this is not worth my time and effort. And so I let it go. Um, something a little bit more serious is that I wish that I could grill. And speaking of men, like I am confident that many of you men in the room, you hear me say that and you would say, Dan, you are now disqualified. Step off the stage. <laughs> but sadly, I do not know how to grill. But I want to, and I've had intentions of trying to learn how to do that. Um, I think for me, the biggest problem is I actually, so we own a grill, but the problem is it's, it's dirty. Um, like it was a hand-me-down grill. I would need to actually clean it off and prepare it. There'd be a lot of things that would go into actually preparing this to then use it in practice. That is actually the biggest barrier for me more than anything else. But regardless, I don't know how to grill, but I have every intention of learning at some point. There are many other things that I could, could probably share with you like that are similar along these lines that I just wish that I could just snap my fingers and then, man, I would just be really good at some of these things. I am confident that you have similar desires. There are things that you, you look at other people and you'd say, man, they're really good at that. I wish that I could be good at that too. And you wish too, there's a cheat code where you can snap your fingers and then here we are. But the reality is that unless we're disciplined and established the right habits and practices to master these things, we won't get there. It's gonna remain a pipe dream. I can say I wanna grill all I want, but if I don't actually put in the effort to learn how to do so, it's not going to matter. And the same is true for our faith. I don't really know any follower of Jesus, at least in some form or fashion, would say something along the lines of, I want to be more like Jesus. I want to, to grow in my faith. I want to represent Jesus well in the world. I want to make an impact for him. But once again, we cannot do this apart from establishing the right habits and practices day in, day out. This has been the heart of the series that we're, we've been in a few week, from a few weeks back called Transforming Presence. This is the heart of this series that if we want to make an impact for the world, if we want to be like Jesus to the people around us, if we want to live out God's word, well, we must be transformed. We must undergo change. We often are looking for these big things that God might do in our lives and say, God, do this big thing. And he does big things. But oftentimes we look for the big thing, overlooking the seemingly mundane day-to-day -day thing that he's looking to do in us. It's through the quietness of the day, the day-to-day -day moments that the Lord will slowly but surely seek to transform us as well. We cannot look for the big thing at the expense of seeing what is right in front of us. 
So we've been talking about some of the simple everyday habits and practices that we can engage in that will put us in the position for transformation. Because that's all that we're doing. We cannot make ourselves grow in the same way that I cannot make a plant grow. But what I can do is I can make the environment ready for it to be able to grow. That's what we've been talking about. I put myself in a position to grow by engaging in these different habits and disciplines and the Lord in his faithfulness, according to his timing and according to his will, will supply that growth. It's our effort, his supply. He will do that in us. This morning, we're gonna talk about what I believe is the missing link in the chain for many of us on this front. So to see this, I'm gonna ask that you would join me in Psalm 119. Psalm 119. If you're using the Pewback Bible in front of you, we're going to be on page 512. If you're using any other physical Bible, if you were to just open right down the middle, there's a good chance that you end up in Psalm 119, or at least very near to it. That is about the midway point in the Bible. Also, fun fact, Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible. It has 176 verses. Don't worry, we are not reading all 176 this morning, although that, of course, would be beneficial. We're going to just focus on a smaller chunk here this morning. Specifically, we're going to be in verse 9. So I'm going to start reading that now. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Now, I want us... I want to read this again, but I want us to read it together, out loud. And here's why and here's how. Right? The purpose of this is because I want this to become personalized. I want you to hear this and I want you to read this as if you are declaring these things for yourself. That when you are saying it, it's not the psalmist who is saying it, but you yourself are declaring these things. And so here's how we're going to do this. I'm going to say, I'm going to say like verse nine, and then we're going to read verse nine together, and then we're going to pause because I've got something in between each one, but I'm going to give you the cue. We're going to read it together. And again, the purpose of that is to make it personal that we are declaring this together for ourselves. So join with me. Verse nine, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. All right, pause there. God, how can anyone, how can someone keep their way pure, righteous, according to your holiness, according to your word? How can I do that in my own life, Lord? By guarding it according to your word. God, I know that I need protection from the other things that might cause me to go off this way. Help me to know your word, to guard my way. Verse 10. With my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. God, I seek you with all of my heart. I give all of my heart 
to you. Lord, I know that I am prone to wander, but I ask that you would keep me, that I would stay close to your commandments, that I would live them out. Verse 11, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. God, I desire to have your word in my heart and in my mind so that I would stay on this path and that I would not sin. God, I struggle with sin. I don't desire this. I wanna keep my way pure. Verse 12, blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. God, there is no one else like you. You are holy, you are set apart. Teach me your ways because they are higher than my ways. Verse 13, with my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. God, I wanna speak your truth. On my lips, I want, I want to speak your words. I will speak your truth. Verse 14, in the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. Lord, in what you have promised and what you have declared, I desire to delight and love them far and above everything else in my life that I hold to be valuable. Verse 15, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. God, I desire to fix my eyes on you. When I'm so prone to look at other things, my desire is to look at you. Help me with that. And lastly, verse 16, I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. God, I, again, I want to delight in your word. I am a forgetful person. I desire to remember, to treasure your word in my heart. If we're being honest, although we did just declare these things out loud together, this feels lofty. I mean, we said it, but man, this feels lofty. I mean, we know our own hearts. There might be moments where we truly desire these things, but, but sustained, it feels almost unattainable. But the psalmist is declaring this for himself. The psalmist is declaring these things for himself. It is possible for us too. What's the central focus of these verses? It actually stands out very simply. It's God's word. Look at verse nine. According to what? Your word. Verse 10, your commandments. Verse 11, your word. 12, your statutes. 13, rules, the rules of your mouth. 14, your testimonies. 15, your precepts and your ways. And verse 16, once again, your statutes and your word. So it looks like if we want our hearts to be transformed and to have this type of posture towards God, it's going to involve his word. But what do we need to do with his word? If I were to say, hey, well, okay, well, if we want this and it has to do with his word, what do we need to do with his word in order to be transformed and to have this posture? I think that if we were to answer very simply, we would say, well, we, we need to read it and we need to know it. We need to read God's word and we need to know God's word. That will transform us. That will move us in this direction. And I would say, yes. But I wouldn't say that I know everything that I've read. I don't know every single thing that I have read. 
I mean, like me, I'm sure that you've read a lot of things in your lifetime, even outside of the Bible, right? You've read instructions, you've read recipes, you've read other books. Would you say that you know everything that you have read? Probably not. Do you remember everything that you've read? I sure don't. In fact, how, how often are we putting something together? Maybe it's a recipe. Maybe we're, we're doing instructions. We're following um, instructions of some kind. And we look at the book and we go to do the thing. And then, oh shoot. And then we go back to it again because we forgot already. Or how often are we reading something and we kind of, we get down to the end of the paragraph and we say, what did I just read? And then we go back and we read it again. We simply do not always know and remember what it is that we have read. It doesn't look like it's as simple as reading God's word leading to knowing God's word. There's something missing. That something is meditation. What we're missing is meditation. And, and, and as I say that, I want, I want you to fight the urge to, to think of what we would typically go to with the Eastern form of meditation, which is the, the emptying of our minds. Like when, when, our, when, when you hear meditation used out in our culture, you, that's usually what is implied. It's like this, this idea of emptying our minds. That's not what we're talking about. That is actually an anti-biblical idea. There is nowhere in scripture that we are called to just simply empty our minds without replacing it with something else. And so when we're talking about meditation, we're talking about biblical meditation, which is not the emptying of our minds, but the filling of our minds. What are we filling our minds with? God's word. To meditate on something, it means simply to think deeply on it, to dwell on it, to linger on it. In this case, to think deeply on God's word, to dwell on God's word, and to linger in God's word. When we actively think about something, there's a sense in which we are meditating on it. We're giving it attention. Now, the word meditation is only used once in this portion of Psalm 119, but the effects and the importance of meditation are embedded all throughout. So to meditate, to think deeply and dwell on God's word, it has several effects on us that we need to know. And the first is that it prepares us to combat sin. Meditation prepares, to, prepares us to combat sin. We see that in these first three verses, actually, of Psalm 119. How can a young man keep his way pure? Pure, it means to be righteous. It means to be holy. We're talking about God's way, according to God's will. How can I keep my way that way? It's, it's like this picture of a path that we're on. How can I stay on the straight and narrow in a way that is honoring to the Lord? I'm, I'm walking this path. I'm living my life in a way that's honoring to the Lord. How can I do that? Well, I guard it according to God's word. I have to guard my path according to his word. Verse 11 is even more kind of in our face with it. I have stored up your word in my heart, but why? That I might not sin against you. Like It sounds like when, when we store up God's word, when we dwell on his word, when we know his word and seek to live it out, a natural outcome is that we aren't sinning because we're doing what God has called us to. We're living out God's way. When God's word is stored up in us, when we inevitably face moments of temptation, because we all will, we're able to combat those lies with the truth. It's exactly what happened with Jesus in Matthew chapter four. Jesus is in the wilderness being tempted by Satan himself. 
And how does he respond to each of these temptations? It is written. Satan says, hey, you should do this. Jesus says, "Uh uh-uh. God's word tells me otherwise. It is written, and he combats each of these lies, each of these temptations, with the truth of God's word. The same is true for us. We combat the lies of the enemy with God's word, but we can't do that unless we have it on us. On that note, meditation helps us memorize God's word. Similarly, once again, in verse 11, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. This picture of storing up the word in our heart is really this idea of I have memorized God's word so that I can recall it readily when I need it. This Notice where this is being stored. Right? If I'm carrying my Bible around or I'm carrying a backpack, I will often have my Bible in it. And so like, there's a sense in which like, I've got God's word on me, but the storage here for the psalmist is his heart. How does that happen? Because I've memorized God's word. I have God's word readily available. I just know it. And so there are methods and there are things that we can do to actually put into practice memorizing God's word. There are many of you who do that. And that is a great thing. But I tell you what, the more that we just spend time in God's word in general, we are going to naturally be able to recall God's word. So when we take the intentional time with note cards and some different things, like we want to do that, like that takes it to the next level. But that will also happen naturally just the more time that we spend in God's word. And so meditating, dwelling on, lingering on God's word helps us to memorize it. A third effect of meditation is that it's implied in Psalm 119, but it's seen more explicitly elsewhere, which sidebar, I don't know if you, you'll notice this, if you, as you go throughout scripture, um, keep an eye out for what God says about thinking, because God actually says quite a bit about how we think and how we use our minds. And so not just here in Psalm 119, but we see these truths elsewhere as well. Meditation also equips and motivates us to live out God's word. We've already come to terms with the fact that reading doesn't automatically lead to knowing. Knowing something intellectually doesn't automatically lead to doing. Well, in James chapter one, James is warning us not to just be someone who hears God's word but fails to do it. And he uses this picture of a man. He says, he says that a, a hearer only, one who does not do but hears only, is like a man who, who looks into a, a mirror, and it's a, it's a faded mirror. And he's looking to figure out what he looks like. And he, he gets the image for a moment. But then the moment he walks away, he forgets what he looks like. He goes on to say immediately after this, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, referring to God's word. And in this word looks into, this is like intentional to the next level. It's like I see it. I'm stooping down to get a better view. I'm actually focusing on this thing with the intent of retaining the knowledge Whoever looks into, whoever examines deeply the perfect law, God's word, and perseveres, which is categorized as someone who does the word, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Living it, or doing it, comes from dwelling on it. An even better example of this is Joshua 1, 7 and 8. God says to Joshua, only be strong and courageous, very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law of Moses, my servant, commanded you. 
Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This illustration that we have here is this, it's this path language, right? Do not turn from the right to the left. Stay on this path, right? Do this so that you can actually live out the word. And then he says, verse eight, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. The book of the law, referring to God's word. How is it that the book of the law will not depart from his mouth? It says, but you shall meditate on it day and night. How, how, do we, how do we not allow God's word to depart from us? We meditate on it day and night. Well, what is the purpose of meditating on it day and night? To do the word. So you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do all that is, in, it is written in it. And what will the outcome be? God says prosperity and success. Now, to be very clear here, this is not prosperity gospel. This is not saying, hey, you do the word, God will give you everything that you want. But one thing that is true throughout scripture is that obedience does precede blessing. That God does bless us, not just in material ways, but he does bless us according to his word, according to his goodness. And so we are faithful to his word and he blesses his people. But we don't do the things for the blessing God in his kindness gives those things to us. So meditating on God's word equips us and motivates us to live it out. And lastly, meditation acts as the catalyst for spiritual growth and transformation. It's the catalyst. This aligns right with the heart of our series. Right? It has been implicit in all the verses that we've seen so far, but it's explicitly stated in Romans 12, 1 and 2, Paul writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And here it is. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. There's our word. We're talking about transforming presence. We're seeking transformation. So this should perk our ears up. He says, be transformed. Don't be conformed to the patterns of the world. Instead, be transformed. How? By the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Transformation does not start outward. We tend to get caught up focusing on all the outward things. The outward things are fine, but we, we put all of our stock in those things at the expense of the inward, at the expense of the heart. Paul is telling us plainly that transformation actually begins in our mind, begins in our heart. Mind and heart often used interchangeably in scripture. Transformation begins here. It starts in our minds, starts in our hearts before it outflows into our actions. So how do we renew our minds? For this transformation, by meditating on God's word. Right, we renew our mind. What do we do with our mind? We think. It says change your thinking. Think on the right things. How we think and what we think about really, really matters. There are churches out there and there are pastors out there 
who tend to be more like motivational speakers than teachers of God's word. And oftentimes, one of the things that they will emphasize is it will call it the power of positive thinking. That if you just think it, if you believe it, it's gonna happen. And you know what? They're actually, they're actually onto something. They're onto something in the sense of that actually the way that we think, there is power in our thinking. The difference is where they get it wrong is that the power is not in us and that the object of our thinking should not be us. Oftentimes the focus is think about how great you are and it's all within you and you can do it. But the power that we're talking about in meditation and thinking is is the object of that thinking is not us. It's God's word. The object of our hope and the power is in God himself, in God's word. It's not on us. So how we think, it really matters. We all want to grow spiritually and be transformed. Question is, why do we so often fail to see the transformation we seek? Well, it's because we don't meditate on God's word as we should. So the next question becomes, well, why don't we? Why do we struggle to think deeply about God? I believe that there are a few dominant reasons. And the first is that we're distracted. This is the blessing and the curse of technology today. And we see this more in younger generations, although this is definitely true for some of the older generations as we continue to um, embrace technology. It's the blessing and the curse. Because what ends up happening is we need stimulation to almost be settled and be at what we would consider to be at peace. And you know what I'm talking about because I've done this before. It's where, you know, maybe you have the TV or you have something playing in the background while you're scrolling on your phone, but you also have your laptop open. You know what I'm talking about. And it's like, we, why do we do this? We, it's become a habit and a rhythm of ours because we feel like we need this to kind of be there in the moment. But what we don't realize what we're doing is we are giving ourselves a dependency on this type of stimulation so that in a moment of silence, we feel rattled and shaken and we have no idea what to do with ourselves. And so what we do then, what happens is we, you, our mind doesn't cease to be used I know we say like it's a mindless activity, but that's just a little bit of an exaggeration because we're still thinking, but what this does is it, put, it puts a cap on us. It means we, we can actually can't go deeper as we need to. We have a, a shallowness to us. The second thing is busyness. They go hand in hand, but the second reason that we struggle to think deeply on God is busyness. We have a lot on our plate. We have a lot of things to do. Many of these things are good things and are right things. What ends up happening is our busyness prevents us from even having this time in God's word in the first place, day in, day out. See, I don't, man, I want to get in God's word. I just feel like I don't have time. But we will make time for the things that we love. And so even when we do have, even for those of us who are able to schedule this time, and we have this time set time in our word each day, what ends up happening is because we've got a jam-packed schedule and we've got one more thing to get to, what happens is I will read my Bible and I'll say, okay, on to the next, right away. And there are mornings and days where that's going to happen. But it's almost as if we, we treat it as a task that I can now close my book, check it off, and I'm on to the next task. 
I don't even give my, my, myself space to think on this. On to the next. But the other barrier, the reason I think that we don't do this, it's because of fear and because of insecurity. Think about this. To meditate on God's word, I need to put my life on silent mode. Like, if I'm going to truly meditate, that means I need to silence the things going on around me to where it's just me, God, and my thoughts. His word. And for some, this is terrifying because if I'm left alone in my thoughts and I begin to think deeply about God's word and my own heart, I am forced to face and think about all the things that I hate about myself. I am forced to then think about how I fall short. I am forced to then start thinking about my sin and that brings me to a place of shame and I don't want to do that. So what's easier is if I am distracted and so we willingly place ourselves in a place of distraction so that we do not have to think about these things. If we allow ourselves to go to this place, we are believing a lie straight from the mouth of Satan. What Satan wants from us is to focus on our sin. He wants us to remember why we don't deserve God's grace. And he wants us to be paralyzed by it. He wants us to remain in that place of paralyzation and not being able to move. And here's what I want to tell you if this is you. Whatever flaw that you think that you have, whatever sin struggle that you think that you have, newsflash, Jesus knew about that from before the beginning of time and he still chose to die for you. Jesus is more than aware of your flaws and my flaws. He is more than aware of my sin and your sin and he still said, I love you enough to die for you. That's why the, the truth of God's word is so important with these things. Romans 5 says that while we were still weak, while we were still sinners, while we were still enemies of God, he did what? Christ died for us. And because of that truth, we can confidently say, Romans 8, 1, that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The shame that I am feeling is not coming from the Lord. I have now taken my eyes off of Jesus and I put my eyes back on the sin that I'm supposed to be leaving at the foot of the cross. Jesus says, or we see in the word that what Jesus did on the cross is that he bore our shame and sin. That means he took the shame with us too, with him too. We're not meant to feel those things anymore. God meets us in our mess, wherever that is, and he wants to transform us for our good and his glory. So as real as these barriers are, if we desire to be transformed, and it is God's will, by the way, that we would be transformed, that we would grow in our faith, we need to change course and begin to think deeply about the things of God. And this doesn't need to be some monumental shift that kind of turns the entire pattern of our day-to-day -day lives upside down. We can go after what I would call the low-hanging fruit. If we want to meditate on God's word, what can I begin to do practically? Well, the easiest time to put meditation into practice is when we're already spending time in God's word. Right, it doesn't need to be some separate habit, although it certainly could be at times, but one that's built into our time in scripture.
So this might be obvious, but we can't meditate on something that we don't spend time with. So if we want to receive the benefits of meditating on God's word, we actually have to be in it. Donald Whitney, who wrote the book, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life, describes what I believe is the ideal plan of attack for our time spent in God's word. It encompasses a, a holistic approach to you know, the transformation that we're talking about through reading God's word, meditating on God's word, and praying God's word, which will naturally lead us to living out God's word. This is how he describes it. He says that the process works like this. After an input of a passage of scripture, meditation allows us to take what God has said and think deeply on it, digest it, and then speak to God about it in meaningful prayer. As a result, we pray about what we've encountered in the Bible, now personalized through meditation. And not only do we have something substantial to say in prayer, as well as the confidence that we are praying God's thoughts to him, but we transition smoothly into prayer and with more passion for what we are praying about. When enlivened by meditation, prayer becomes more like a real conversation with a real person, which is exactly what prayer is. God speaks to us in his word, and we speak to him in response to what he has said. This process is very simple and easy to understand. Right? I'm reading God's word. I then meditate on what I have read. And then I begin to pray the very thing that I have read and meditated on. And that will then help me to live out and to do what it is that we have read. Now in his book, he gives an extremely helpful illustration that compares this process to making a cup of tea where the water represents our minds. The tea bag represents God's word. And when we actually dip the tea bags into the water, it represents us reading and meditating and dwelling on God's word. And so think of reading like this. When we talk about reading, we're talking about oftentimes when we are using the discipline of, of reading God's word, that is us, we're usually reading a longer passage or a couple chapters. We're not so much going for depth, but we are going for breadth. And so um, I would liken it to this. If we were reading God's word, something we should be doing, something that is good, it's almost like um, we are putting the tea bags into the water and holding it there for five seconds or so and then pulling it right back out. It's good, and in fact, the time that the tea bags were in the water, the tea is going into the water and something is happening, although we can't really see it, it's more incremental. And so if we were to continue this practice of making tea this way, where I'm gonna dunk it in for five seconds, and then pull it right back out, and then leave and come back and do it again, I'm going to get tea eventually. It's just gonna take a really long time. That's kinda like reading the word, it's good, and we should absolutely do it, but it's gonna, be, it's gonna make more of an in incremental change in us. Studying God's word is a different story. When we study God's word, we're, we're not going so much for breadth, we are going for depth. We're lingering and we're trying to seek the deeper things of what God is saying. And so when we study God's word, it's, it's like, well, we're not gonna dip the tea bag in for five seconds. It's more of like that 20 second, maybe 30 seconds at a time, and then eventually we pull it right back out. Then we go back to studying again, goes right back in. Eventually, I'm gonna make tea, but it's still gonna take a little bit of time. When we talk about meditation, we're talking about leaving the tea bags in there and letting it steep. That's how we make tea. 
right? We allow the tea bags to steep in the water uninterrupted for a period of time so that when we go back to it, we actually have tea. This is what meditation is meant to be in our hearts and in our minds. So I wanna step away from this illustration for a moment. I wanna make this really practical. Or we're talking about doing this during our time in the word. So let's assume for a moment you have now, you're, you're opening up your Bible in the morning, the evening, at lunch, wherever it is for you, and you are simply trying to say, okay, how do I put meditation into practice during this time? Here's some practical things that we can do. The first thing is to emphasize the words in the text. Emphasize different words in the text that you are reading. And, and here's what I mean. I, you are going to be, as you read something, have you ever been reading something in God's word and it just stands out to you in a, in a, in a new way or something? It's like, it's causing you to linger on it. You're like, whoa, this, this word, this phrase, it means something to me. Well, one of the ways that we can just naturally meditate on God's word is to linger on those words, to linger on those phrases. Maybe this is while you are reading and you say, whoa, I need to stop for a moment and think on this. Or... Maybe you, you make a note and you come back to it after you've read the whole passage and you go back and you think deeply on this. Here's what this might look like, for example, in Joshua 1. We talked about Joshua 1.7 already. It says, only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it the right hand or the left that you may have good success wherever you go. So maybe you're reading through Joshua and, and you start to think, be strong and courageous. That stands out to me. Like, I don't know that I'm always strong and courageous. What does that mean? And so you pause and you begin to think, what does it mean to be strong in the Lord? What does it mean to have courage and a boldness that comes from God? Maybe you, you, you get to this illustration of turning from the right hand to the left and you start to think deep. What does that mean? What does it actually mean to stay on this straight path and not turn from that? Like, what is so bad about this? And you start to just think on this. It's very simple. Emphasize different words or phrases that stand out to you. Secondly, look for applications of the text. Actually seek the applications in there. You know, what is speaking? There's a reason why these words are standing out to you. What speaks to your concerns? What speaks to your needs during this time? Now, I, I want to say there's a danger here. I want to warn us, like, Scripture is not about us in the sense that we need to be careful not to read ourselves into these stories inappropriately. However, there is still a sense, right? God's, God's word is not about us, but it is for us. And still there are principles in Joshua 1 even that do apply to us. No, we are not getting ready to go into the promised land. And no, God is not calling us to be strong and courageous so that we can take out all of the Canaanites, but this, this call to be strong and courageous still stands, does it not? There are other places in scripture, there, there's still a principle here that God calls us to be strong and courageous in the face of things that give us fear, that make us afraid, that make us worried and concerned. And so recognizing that, maybe I'm, I'm reading through Joshua 1 and I'm saying strong and courageous, that, that phrase stands out to me because I'm going through a situation or a circumstance that's made me fearful, I am anxious. I'm saying, Lord, I don't know what to do. And so you start to think, well, how, how can I be strong and courageous in this circumstance? What can I do? How can I seek the Lord's strength so that I can, that I can work through this well? 
And then when you come to a place where you've dwelled on it and, you're, and you, you've thought about the applications, you've now closed your Bible, or maybe you've left your Bible open, but you're done reading, we then pray through the text. We're talking about praying God's word. We're talking about praying what it is that we've just read, what it is that we've just meditated on. In fact, I would say that prayer is actually another way of a form of meditation. Because in order for me to pray God's word, I have to dwell on it. I have to be thinking about it. I'm continuing to think about it. So again, we go to Joshua 1. Strong and courageous stands out to me, so I'm emphasizing that word. I'm thinking of the application because I'm fearful in this circumstance. Well, if I'm fearful in a circumstance, what should I do? I should probably pray about it, shouldn't I? And so I begin to pray then, Lord, you tell your people to be strong and courageous. Lord, I know I'm not Joshua, but I know that you know me and you know my circumstances, and I know that you still call me to have courage in this moment. Help me, I need you. And so you begin to then dwell more and more on this word and you pray and that's going to do something in us. See, these first three things, these are actionable steps that I would consider to be, again, low-hanging fruit for us because we're already spending time in God's word. But there is an important caveat staring right at us in the example that we've been using in Joshua 1. Because in verse 8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it only during your God time in the morning. He doesn't say that. We should meditate on it during the times, the intentional times that we're in scripture. But what does God say? You shall meditate on it day and night. So we do this not once, not just once in the morning, but day and night. This doesn't mean that we're literally going to clear out our schedule so that all we're doing is meditating on God's word all day. I think that would actually be incredibly irresponsible. Although every once in a while, I think that there would be, a, it would be good to make this a discipline to do this for a day or the majority of a day. But it's not this idea that I need to only be thinking about God's word constantly in every moment and, and not doing anything else. I mean, Joshua had stuff to do, right? Joshua is like, he's about to lead the nation of Israel into the promised land. Joshua doesn't have time to just sit back and just, go off by himself and think about God's word. He's got stuff that he's called to do. The call for Joshua and the same for us is as you go about what I have called you to do, dwell on my word. Let my word inform each moment, each step that you take. So for you, where does your mind wander in the quiet moments of the day? Like where, where does your mind go? Where do your thoughts go? Do you allow your mind to wander? It goes back to that question, I, I need to be distracted so I don't have to think. When you do have those moments, where does your mind go to? What, what comes to mind? Where, where does it go? We might need to make intentional choices to make this happen where we're meditating not once but day and night. Maybe that means when you're driving to work or you're driving to a friend's house, maybe you leave the radio off. And maybe... You leave the podcast off and you actually say, I'm going to intentionally spend time to think about what I've read this morning. I'm gonna think about God's word. Is there something that stands out to me? Maybe I'm gonna, I'm gonna think about what Dan taught on Sunday, right? Uh, I'm gonna think deeply on this and how this applies to me and, and you take that time and maybe you take the time to pray too. As you're walking into work or you're walking somewhere, right? You're going in the grocery store. Yeah, I know, you're thinking about Okay, I need to find this and I'm looking at my list. That's fine, you're gonna do that. 
but maybe your mind goes to God's word. Maybe you're actively thinking, maybe you're actively praying. When you're doing chores throughout the day, it's not wrong to have a podcast on, but are you dependent on that for what you call to seem to be peace? Leave it off and maybe allow God to, to speak to us in some ways. Let's, let's eliminate some of the distractions. We will think about other things. There will be things that dominate our minds, no question. And that's okay. So as long as those thoughts do not dominate our minds at the expense of meditating on his truth. We cannot allow those, these other things because here's the reality. What we dwell on, when we actively think on, will form us. It's true. We are always being formed by something. We are always being transformed or conformed by something. And so if our mind is on the thing that we're worried about constantly, guess what? It's shaping us and it's forming us. So we need to be intentional. We're gonna think about other things and that's fine, but we can't allow those other things to take precedence over God's word, which is what is actually meant to transform us by the renewal of our minds. All of these things that we're talking about here, emphasizing different words in the text, thinking about applications, praying through, meditating day and night, this makes up the steeping part of the tea, which speaking of, you might notice this is no longer water. Because we've actually taken the time to allow the tea uninterrupted dwell in the water, the transformation that we are seeking has been made. And here's the thing. There's no going back, is there? If I ever, if I made tea and say, actually, I wanna have water instead, I'm gonna have to get a whole new pitcher because I can't make this water. It has now been transformed to tea and it's not going back. And if I were to ask you, hey, what is this? There's no mistaking it, this for water. At least I hope not. You're, there, you, it's obvious that this is tea. The same is true for us. When we actually allow God's word, we steep in God's word. We allow God's word to steep in us, rather. We end up Transformed to a place that there's no going back. We are now, we know him and we are seeking to follow him all the more. There's no, I, I can't go back to being water. And if we were to do the same thing, if we were to truly meditate on God's word and seek the transformation that we know we get from dwelling on his word, there will be no mistaking us. When people see us, they will not mistake us for water. They're going to know that we follow Jesus they will know without a shadow of doubt. So if we want to experience transformation, we need to steep in the things of God. Transformation will come if we seek the Lord in establishing the right habits and disciplines. Let's make one of those habits meditating on God's word. Let's pray. Lord, you are worthy. We declare that. We thank you that you have given us your word. That we know that you have given us your word for a purpose to give us everything that we need to know you, to know Jesus, and for, for life and for godliness. And so, Lord, I, I ask that, that you would give us a deeper desire towards God's word. That we would have the discipline and desire to be in it day in, day out. And that we would not be 
content with merely reading God, but we want to dwell on it. Would by your spirit, and you actually, you tell us in your word, Lord, that your spirit would remind us of what Jesus has taught. Would you make that come alive in us that we may know, that we may remember your word so that we may be transformed by it. Lord, may we seek these things. Would you change our hearts? Would you give us, would you increase our faith to pursue these things so that we would put forth the effort and that we would see you put forth the supply, that you would grow us and that you would transform us to be the people that you desire us to be, to be the people that follow Jesus and change the world around us. Lord, we invite you to do that because only you can. And even now, as we turn back to you in worship, we desire to, to worship you for your goodness. We desire to dwell on your goodness and we desire to live out of your goodness. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. This has been a message from the chapel in Akron, Ohio. Thanks for joining us today. Our Sunday morning services are at 9 and 1040 a.m. You can join us online for our services by going to akronlive.thechapel.life. For more information about the chapel, please visit our website at thechapel.life.